Hark the bardic paladin Who sings and plays again He tells the tales of glory And weaves a magic story He'll join you at your table And ask you to share a fable Heroes of humble origin Villains who must be fought again No matter their skill or prowess The people in life are countless so we pray you heed our request. Enjoy this tale of sidekicks and sidequests. Episode 112 Levity Butterleaf, the Common Tongue Teacher. Welcome to Sidekicks and Sidequests the Dungeons and Dragons podcast that helps to put humans back into humanity and breathe life into your campaign NPCs with backstory and bravado. That's right, we're building a world, one character at a time. I am your host, Kurt Krenwelge, the Bardic Paladin, and I'll be joining Leah Murray's table in the Levitating Platter. Hello, welcome to another exciting episode of Sidekicks and Side Quests, the best unofficial Dungeons and Dragons podcast, in my humbly biased opinion. I've got a wonderful returning guest for you this week. I got to give you my ad read from Plus One EXP. Tony Vicinda, uh, you heard just a couple of episodes ago, is the mastermind behind this mastercraft of beard balms and lip balms and lotions and game design and community building and all this good stuff. So if you have a beard, if you have lips that are parched or chapped, uh, you should consider going to his site. You might be able to find something that might increase your strength, dexterity, charisma, or more, and just make your skin and hair feel great. Of course, the whole thing that launched this brand was his independent tabletop role-playing game called Beards and Beyond, at which you can pick up on his site. But then this also led into an endeavor with Tony collaborating on several other projects, including Repugnant, High Toaster, Down We Go, Through the Void, Vamp Nugula, and brand standing, just to name a few. So if you support Plus One EXP, either by buying something on their website, going to the itch page, it all helps funnel into the Plus One Forward program, which seeks to support additional indie tabletop content creators to continue making awesome stuff. So I would highly encourage you to follow both Tony and Plus One EXP on all of the various multitudes of social media platforms, Twitter slash X, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and Discord. In order to keep up with all the various projects that are being worked on, as well as upcoming interviews and one shots and actual plays, and just learning more about this awesome community of people making awesome games. So if you don't mind, when you go to the website plus1exp.com and you see that discount code box, be sure to type in the code Randolph at checkout. It's not going to cost you anything. It's just going to give you a discount and it's going to give me a little bit of a kickback, which I certainly appreciate. So again, that code is Randolph at checkout on the website, plus1exp.com. Well, hello, mystery contestant. It's so awesome to have you back on. And uh, for new listeners to the show who maybe haven't had the opportunity to go through the back catalog, uh, just because we're over at 100 episodes now, but would you mind reintroducing yourself? Tell us who it is that you are and what is it that you do? Hi, guys. My name is Leah, and I have dual roles. I work full-time for an insurance broker, 
doing very boring things like copying and pasting all day. And then I work part-time at my family's massage studio as a front desk associate. So you will see me before and after your massage, which is always Mm. a fun time. Yeah. So if I recall from last episode, you're doing the same similar sorts of things that you were doing last time. And before we got uh, the microphones recording, you just explained to me some massage studio industry things that had happened during the pandemic, which, you know, is certainly an interesting podcast all on its own, not to bore our listeners with those details. But you've been good since the last time we spoke, because I remember, you know, you were one of the many people who accepted an invitation to try your hand on my new podcast. And oh, we probably recorded sometime in the May, some May 2020 region, most likely is when our episode was actually recorded. And then I remember working on your episode, actually. My son had just been born. It was the snowpocalypse, and I'm at my in-law's house desperately trying to edit the episode. Meanwhile, I've got a newborn that I'm trying to take care of while the power is cycling on and off. So it was a whole time. Oh, yeah. Uh, I actually was just looking at it. Um, So we recorded in June. Oh, wow. um, While I was still living at my apartment, Mm -hmm. which I have since moved out of. Uh, I now live in a house like five minutes from where my apartment was, which was fun because it it went from two girls in a two-bedroom apartment to three girls in a two-bedroom apartment because my other sister moved in with us and so it was time to go. Mm -hmm. So I've since moved since our last time that we spoke uh, and I spent Snowpocalypse at my house, which was nice. Mm -hmm. Um, I've since adopted a puppy, which is another reason that I'm glad that I am (laughs) recording from my dad's house today because... Mm. uh, my dog likes to bark at any and everything that moves. Mm-hmm. So you would certainly be just hearing a crazy dog the entire time. Mm. Also as well, I'm a new dog owner as well. So Bishop has now joined our family and he's a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. Oh, cute. I have a, uh, he's a Pit Terrier American Cattle Dog Mix. Ooh. Yeah. So, uh, so I like to say he's, very cute, secretly evil, and all the spaz you could possibly handle. Mm. So Okay. He's, he's adorable. He's brave and a coward at the same time. He'll bark to protect you, but as soon as it makes a noise back, he's like, you know what, my mom, you got this. I'm good. <laughs> classic. Classic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so since the last time we spoke, I know for those who remember from your episode before you explained your history or your involvement with the hobby that you had had the opportunity possibly to try and play the game. But then your initial invitation was never given, uh, you know, with the grognards at the game store you would frequent and go to. After that episode you did with me, I felt the spirit, the fire within. And then you were like, okay, well, maybe I should go and try and find a game. And so I have to ask, have you been able to play Dungeons and Dragons or some other similar sort of tabletop role playing game since the last time we spoke? So unfortunately, I have not, because as I also mentioned in our previous podcast, I have a problem with the word no. Mm-hmm. So I ended up falling into, well, first I got a jury duty. Mm. Um, and then we, my family's massage studio, we went from being a franchise to being an independent business. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of turnover with that. I got grand jury duty on top of that and then Whoa. I decided for a leadership course, which only wrapped up, I want to say about three, four months ago. Mm. Um, and so it's just been a lot of that, but I did do 
something, uh, not necessarily exactly like D&D, but I went to an anime convention back in January. Okay. Um, and I was introduced to steampunk uh, RPG. Okay. Uh, say that while I was there with actually uh, another college um, friend that you may know, uh, Nicole McDonald. I don't know if you remember her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I've bumped into her like, you know, the Scarborough Renaissance Fair happens in the Dallas Metroplex area. And so, yeah, I bumped it. I always seem to bump into her there uh, whenever that's going on. And so, yeah, I've seen her around the Metroplex a couple times. Yeah, I think um, the Scarborough Fair, I think she was helping with a steampunk Mm. Uh, that was there so I think it's actually the same group and they had a few panels at IkiCon so I ended up running into her there mm-hmm. and getting to participate and got to create a whole character from scratch and I think I was assigned a name and then I just kind of got to build off of the character there and that was a lot of fun getting mm. to make it up on the fly with other people that were that had never done it before mm. so I expressed an interest in that and then of course once again got busy so it's a matter of just trying to find that balance. We're running a four-person front desk crew right now, so that doesn't really allow a lot of time for um, getting out there, but we're hoping to hire somebody soon, and hopefully I'll be able to jump into that. There you go, yeah. Or maybe even, I know there's a multitude of podcasts and actual plays and all these other sorts of things, so you know, if you are wanting to or desiring to uh, perhaps join a game or a group somewhere, you know, maybe that'll be like an inspiration point because I remember the last time we were talking, it was like it was in the midst of the pandemic. And, you know, I remember theater major background. And so you were like, oh, it's so devastating that all the shows that I can't go to right now. So, you know, maybe that's been uh, an inspiration point along the way now that some of the normalcy of the pre pandemic times is has returned. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm definitely able to get out and go out and do more stuff actually just recently connected with another college friend who did his first stand-up show, stand-up show in Austin. So I got to go see that, which was really cool. Was it LaRoyal? No, uh, his name is Carter. Oh, okay. If you'd been around the theater department, he's super tall African-American gentleman who has since gotten a lot of TikTok fame. So if you're looking for... Oh, we'll have to throw that in the show notes so then he, he can continue to grow his TikTok empire. Oh, yeah. If you come across Carter Anderson comedy on TikTok, uh, he's the guy that does the thing where Taco Bell will jump in and steal somebody's uh, slogan. And they usually <laughs> yell at him uh, that that is not his slogan. That would be my friend Carter. So, OK. All right. Very cool. Yeah. Keeping on with the theme of the podcast and the show. Have you come across any new or interesting sidekick characters, NPCs, you know, from a show, from a play, from a game? etc. And why is this particular sidekick character stuck out with you? So still a massive fan of Mortal Kombat, which I unfortunately did not see the movie and have not had a chance to see it yet. I have not seen the movie either. <laughs> but uh, I did do a lot of watching of like the gameplays and just watching in story mode. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember the name of the character. It's sort of like a twofer I guess it's not necessarily that they're an NPC character that has, it's like a symbiotic relationship. So it's two characters in one and they just have this little teeny tiny character person on their back. And I mostly, I don't know, just something about it is, if I remember correctly, they're supposed to be like from group that was enslaved and then like they broke free. But I have to go back into that whole lore. And this was like 
a six hour video watch that I was on and I'm only <laughs> in no it's an 11 hour video and I'm on like hour four so oh, the deep lore of Mortal Kombat yeah, it's super deep but just something about them has been just sort of I guess like the relationship of how they work together to mm-hmm. achieve a common goal and it's um something about the character just sticks out with me um especially if you go and watch there's a video where you can watch all of their interactions like when they first um, meet for fights mm-hmm. and in the video they have them going up against themselves and it's just this one little thing where they're just like why you look like we why do you look like we and I don't know why it's just super funny but they just kind of stick in my mind so right now they're kind of like my favorite can't remember their name but they are super cute uh, so that's why they stick out for me right now but also that whole like I said the symbiotic relationship where like they have to work together is kind of mm. cool okay and then going along with the theme as well, what's been an interesting or new favorite side quests that you've come across, either from game, movie, film, television, etc.? And why is this side quest, this B plot element stuck out with you? Well, so uh, I've gotten into the show 911. Okay. That and Lone Star, but primarily in the Flagstaff series um, with Angela Bassett. Okay. Her. And the guy that played her husband. So it's throughout the episode, usually there's one main storyline. And if the police get involved, there's always some kind of mystery since her and her husband have gotten together. Despite the fact that she's a police captain and he is a fire chief, somehow he always ends up involved in helping her solve her crimes. And so it's sort of like their little date night. So like you have your main thing, like here's this big fire because this big crater opened up in the middle of the city. While that's all happening, we're going to go solve our own little crime over here off to the side. And just watching the two of them work together is fascinating, hilarious, and just everything you want in like a random side quest about a show about fires. I was going to say, I think I tend to see those videos in the uh, the Facebook videos, you know, where the people have obviously edited over it and then they're just reposting it for the ad revenue or whatever. But yeah, it always seems interesting to me, you know, when the, especially if it's like the Texas, the Lone Star one, or I understand that it's supposed to take place in Austin. So the idea of like magma filled craters opening up in Austin just sounds super plausible. I mean, I know it's hot here, but is it really that hot in Austin that magma is just pouring forth? from beneath the surface you know there's been a couple of days where it's come close and they actually had an episode that was set in san angelo Mm, our old college town oh yeah which i immediately was like false there's no mountains in san angelo yeah there's twin buttes that's about it yeah but like they were showing like these beautiful mountains i was like yeah no there's no snow covered mountains in san angelo but forest (laughs) like brush fires that is a thing Yes. Uh, that's what the episode was surrounded around like a uh, brush fire or like a big well i'm sure during our college years we had to deal with a number of those that would happen out in west texas oh yeah for sure i think uh 2012 was like the worst of it because mm-hmm. um, i think there was like a brief time where they were like hey you may have to evacuate campus in like an hour be ready to go mm-hmm. but yeah like it was just watching it was just like mountains no fire yes accurate great <laughs> It's always fun when they reference like a, an actual place that you've lived or been to and then you compare it to the actual shooting locations where they go. And it's like, ah, this is they they did not film on location. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, finally, to round out the personal interview section, have you come across any new hobbies? Have you developed any new passions? And what are they? 
I am constantly coming across hobbies. So I'm currently trying to teach myself. It started out wanting to learn one language and I'm now signed up for eight of them on Duolingo. Whoa. Because they're, they're all languages I've wanted to learn and I figure why not? So we are trying to brush up on Spanish. We're trying to learn French. Uh, Swahili was the original goal. Mm. Then we discovered Esperanto. Oh, yeah. And then Irish, Gaelic. I think I have German on there. Right. And then because I couldn't have the opportunity to learn a nerdy language and not take advantage. Um, so we are also trying to learn High Valerian from Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Yes. Oh, wow. Oh, Creole. That's the other one that I was. Oh, trying Creole. To Interesting. Yeah. And I have a friend that's actually from Haiti, so she doesn't know it yet. She's about to be my study buddy, so. Okay. Now, correct me if I'm wrong in trying to be a nerd about all things Marvel Cinematic and everything. My understanding with Black Panther is that the uh, Wakandan language is partially based off of Swahili? I don't know. I haven't read anything about that, but I would believe it. Mm -hmm. Just because it's the most common language you hear probably in that region would be like around Swahili. Mm -hmm. And it's also Swahili is Swahili is one of the easier languages to learn. Interesting. It's the way that the word is spelled is how it sounds. So. Oh, very. That's very good. Yeah. Why are there a bunch of silent letters here? Like in French, it's like I have 10 letters, but it only sounds like one syllable or something. I wouldn't necessarily say that they're silent. It's more so that they're very quick. Uh, For instance, if you're wanting to say, I am American, or if you want to just say American, um, because that's where it comes in. So when you're stating like your nationality or something, Mm -hmm. it has a random letter in before you get to the rest of the word. So Mm -hmm. like if you're saying I am Kenyan, you're saying McKenyan or McKenya. And then like, uh, I'm from Tanzania, Matanzanian, or I'm American, Mamerican, which that random in just always feels really weird to say and kind of like you're mumbling, but mm-hmm. it's supposed to be there. So it's a very interesting language and um, having fun learning it. So that's awesome. I was going to say uh, one of my heroes, uh, St. Pope John Paul II was also a very world renowned polyglot. And the last I remembered St. John Paul II I think they said he spoke like 27 different languages. So you're well on your way uh, if you wanted to uh, brush up with greatness in that way. Oh, we are we are definitely trying. I think my inspiration for that was I think there was like an eight year old girl who was like 13 languages in. And I was like, well, I'm not going to be outshone by an eight year old. We're going to keep trying <laughs> until I figure it out. But then I also tend to get distracted by other things. Like I pick up hobbies like you're picking up socks or something. I'm just like, oh, this sounds cool. Let's pick that up. So that is partly why I get distracted or why uh, sometimes things get pushed to the background is because I'll be like, I'm doing this. Oh, but this also looks fun. <laughs> it's like, eventually I come back around to it. I'm always thinking about getting out there to do uh, D&D, especially now that the movie has come out. Yeah. Reinforce that. And the two friends that I had that were playing D&D, I think their group went on hiatus for a bit. And now those two girls have their own podcast. Um, and so... I was just like, okay, well, clearly you guys aren't my ends, so and I gotta find another way in, and I'll I'll figure find that out eventually. 
Well, it's been great catching up in this personal interview section of the show that I think it's time to head into some NPC creation. And NPC creation, of course, is brought to you by you, podcast audience, and our patrons from Patreon. That's right. Now is the time in the show where we give a shout out to our comfortable patrons and above with a loud hurrah. So cheers to all of you. Our aristocratic tier member, Goblin Katie, Katie Downey, and then uh, our other wealthy level patrons, including my parents, Nicholas Cartarelli, and my good buddy, Anson Jablinski. We say cheers to all of you. So again, you can get your own shout out, your own loud hurrah on the podcast by becoming one of our comfortable level patrons. That's $2 a month. The higher you go, it also means wealthy patrons and above also get to introduce an element of chance to our random tables, which we're most likely going to be using here today. And so you might get to hear their responses. So if you want to learn more and join the Levitating Platters podcast community, go to the show notes below, go to the podcast website, or just go directly to patreon.com forward slash sidekicks and side quests to find out about our tiers of membership and help us expand our operations at the levitating platter in this demiplane and worlds beyond all right so we were discussing before we started rolling that you wanted to roll the dice once again randomly to let the fates guide you in character creation today is that correct yes sir okay so whether you have your dice virtually physically or metaphysically which would be interesting how you would manage to have dice in that manner. But regardless, we need to first determine the name of our character. And of course, the way that we do that is by rolling a d20. And I got a six. Six. Okay. Your answer was provided by previous guest, Dane Fox McGraw, Levity Butterleaf. Oh. So we've got that going for us. And then we need to determine the ancestry of our character. And so we'll determine this by rolling two D10s for a D100 effect. So I got a nine and a four. So that would be 94, which is going to be... Aha, interesting. Okay, so you've got a choice here. So you can do Vampire, Damphir, or Styrogi. So vampire, obviously self-explanatory. A Damphir is like a half vampire. And then a Styrogi is basically like if you imagine a mosquito monster, but you combine it with the Jeff Goldblum's The Fly after he goes through the transporter. I actually, and I actually knew what all of these were. (laughs) Oh, awesome. So I would like to go with the Damphir. Okay, damn fear. So Levity Butterleaf, the damn fear. What is the job or role in society for Levity Butterleaf? If you would like to roll just a regular D10, we'll figure that out. And we got another six. Another six. Okay, interesting. Your answer is provided by our Patreon supporter, Anson Jablinski, common tongue teacher. So like the basic assumed Franquilingua of the world Levity Butterleaf is a common tongue teacher, like an ESL kind of instructor. Oh, okay. And then let's see, the other thing we get to roll for before we take a slight pause on the dice rolling is we need to determine the age range of our character, and we'll do this with a D8. And we have a four. Four would be adult. 
Now that we have these details in mind, with the name of Levity Butterleaf, we know Damphir, we know Common Tongue Teacher, and we know Adult. So with all these things in mind, if you had to describe the physical appearance of Levity Butterleaf, what comes to mind? So is Levity a male or female? Whatever you're feeling. Okay, I, I feel like Levity is a female name. Okay. So, hmm... See, and it was really interesting because we chose Damphir with the name of Levity Butterleaf. I was like, oh, is this one of those things where it's like a lycanthrope? And so technically you could be whatever, and then you transform into the lycanthrope. I was trying to figure out if Damphir's, mechanically speaking, were going to be their own unique species, if you will. Or if it was like, oh, I could be like a halfling, but I'm really a Damphir halfling. And I was just trying to read through some stuff real quick. And it's telling us poised between the worlds of the living and the dead. Damphirs retain their grip on life, yet are endlessly tested by vicious hungers. Their ties to the undead grant Damphirs a taste of a vampire's deathless prowess in the form of increased speed, dark vision, and a life-draining bite. With unique insights into the nature of the undead, many Damphirs become adventurers and monster hunters. Their reasons are often deeply personal. Uh, Some seek danger, imagining monsters as personifications of their own hungers others pursue revenge against whatever turned them into a damn fear and still others embrace the solitude of the hunt striving to distance themselves from those who tempt their hunger so if we're imagining a damn fear obviously there's a story with how levity came to be a half vampire but in the physical description and maybe if you wanted to randomly generate another ancestry or unless the name levity butterleaf bring something to mind i'm just curious like to me my personal opinion which we don't have to go with levity butterleaf reminds me of like a halfling is levity like a halfling damn fear or like a dwarven damn fear i don't know or or a gnome what do you imagine so based on your description because i tend to associate a lot with things that i already know or like pop culture and it immediately made me think of blade okay oh great example yeah Yeah. the daywalker Um, Exactly. And that's kind of what I was thinking of, because I've also, there's a book series that I read where they don't necessarily become a hunter, but there's a similar characteristic of like, a, of in the vampire lore. It is something called a rook. Okay. They still retain a lot of their human aspect. It's not full vampire. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's done by choice. So you can either become a full vampire, um, which means, you know, your heart stops, you're dead, you have the bloodlust and everything. Or mm. you have the rook, which has... Um, the same, like they can walk in the sun, they have the same lifespan as a vampire, but they're just not, they're more or less straddling both worlds. Mm. So yeah, I kind of want half, like sort of, sort of like that, sort of like a rook where vampiristic tendencies, but with the ability to sort of walk between the worlds. And so with the blade reference, which is excellent, are you imagining levity is a human or was a human and then became this damn fear or like I was positing a halfling or a gnome or a dwarf or some other fantasy race or the like? I see levity as more like someone who became so was originally human and uh, was maybe attacked by a vampire. But for whatever reason, the process was just not completed. Ooh, okay, now that I understand, and again, now that I have the blade thing coming into mind, does she kind of have that same sort of physical characteristic vibe? She's dressing in leather and has like an interesting haircut and wears shades and carries around swords all the time while she's a common tongue teacher, or does she look different than that? 
I would say she looks different. Not she's not gonna play. It's she's not overtly a hunter like in that hunter esque form. I would mm. say like she because she is trying to blend in. Okay. You know she is the teacher. I see her as more just kind of dresses like the common everyman, but there's maybe just something about her that tends to make people notice her more. Mm. So it could just be like maybe her clothes are just a little bit more not necessarily edgy. But it's just like, she's common, but there's just something different. Like maybe, you know, most of the women in her area are wearing dresses and she's got like a half dress pants situation going on. Isn't there like a, a style of clothing, modern clothing now that's called like tech wear or something like that, where it looks like very business chic, but it also looks like something that could be out of the Matrix or something like that? Yeah, I'm trying to think but of like the fantasy version equivalent of that. Like you were describing like a pant dress situation. Like, yes. oh, you look so, like a proper respectable lady. However, you look also like an adventurer. So you could just drop everything at a moment's notice and go fight danger or something like that. Yeah. So I'm thinking from uh, once upon a time. Okay. And it's sort of a cross between... Because the evil queen has an outfit that's very similar to what I'm thinking of, where it's could very easily be. It's got like f- flowing, kind of like a like a coat with tails. Okay. But it, it's it's a the top is sort of like it sits around her like a dress, but she has pants. So like when she's walking, it flows behind her like a dress would. But she's got the pants, so it's sort of like a we're classy, but we could also fight at a moment's notice if needed. Okay, so she's wearing that. Is there anything else that would be notable as far as her physical description goes, her physical appearance? I would say that because because she's sort of like between the worlds, it's almost like she has a glow around her. Like it's not overt, like shining glow, but it's just like a very faint, like mm, something's different. Mm. Almost like a yeah, like a glow or like a shimmer that's just like shines just maybe a little bit brighter than like normal people. Not quite Twilight territory where they're like sparkly vampires, but yeah. there's just as someone who, you know, whose wife has been pregnant and had a child. It's like, you know, the maternal glow of pregnancy yeah. and stuff like that. So it's almost like that. But, you know, she's not necessarily pregnant or anything. It's because she's a, a damn fear. So she's got like this otherworldly attractiveness to yes. her. That's exactly what I'm thinking. Just words are not communicating properly today. Sure. No, that's fine. I'm just trying to help understand the character. So you actually do envision her as like a monster hunter of sorts, but her day job cover is that, oh, she's the common tongue language teacher in this community. And, you know, she's using that as an opportunity to pick up like hints or leads as to like where supernatural activity is occurring. So then she can go up there and combat it and stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking of. Now my brain keeps jump- jumping to Buffy the Vampire Slayer because she more or less does the same like towards the end of the series. But yeah, it's like something like that, like using her day job to sort of blend in. And and if we had to describe levity with three adjectives, what three adjectives would you use? Vigilant, which would make sense given that she has that hunter-esque type style. But also, part of me wants to say friendly, but also I want to say open. Approachable. They are aware that she's sort of more. So I think approachable would be a, the, the best word because people are aware that they think like, there's something more about her, but they're not afraid mm. to approach her, which, you know, given that she is a teacher, like you don't want to be afraid of your teacher or like 
unwilling to go near them. Mm-hmm. But it also helps with her being sort of like a hunter-esque type of person. So we've got vigilant, we've got approachable, and then what's the third adjective? I'd say kind, because, you know, kind can do a lot. One, one of those things that you can do a lot with, like you can show, uh, like your kindness can allow you to show mercy towards people, but can also be mean you're more willing to help if the situation arises for it. So kind, I think, is the third one I'd like to use. And then, of course, all our NPCs have to have cool things on them. So what's going to be a valuable item, piece of lore, a secret, or an ideal or concept that Levity would ascribe to? We'll do the combo roll of the D4 first, and then the D6. So for the D4, we have a 2. And for the D6, we have a 1. Okay, excellent. So your piece of lore was provided today by previous guest Stephanie Jones. Levity knows who all the corrupt government officials are. Nice. All the power. I mean, is this something that she's just picking up through the course of being the common language teacher uh, in the community and that she's just picked this up or just through the course of her doing her uh, vigilante type work? She just happens to know the the wider network of who all the corrupt officials are in the government and uh, is sanctioning and allowing this chaos to uh, continue. I would say that her being the common language teacher has a lot to do with that, just because even in by like today's standards, teachers are, are, aren't really regarded as like, you know, threats. So I feel like people would be, especially with her being so approachable, people mm-hmm. would be more willing to talk in front of her. And that may lead mm. like things that she overhears would then lead into her like being like vigilanteism and like going out and finding out more about that to, you know, keep in the banks for later. I have an interesting question. I was trying to imagine a scenario in my head. And as you were explaining in the personal interview section, how you've taken up this new hobby of trying to become a polyglot, if you will, learning all these different languages. Mm -hmm. What languages do you think Levity knows? Obviously, she has to be a a proficient in being able to help people to learn common. So I'm, I'm just kind of interested what you're thinking about, you know, so she's a human or, you know, appears as a human. Are there any interesting ones like basic common fantasy ones in D&D end up being like halfling, dwarven, elvish, and then you've got like orcish and goblin, some of these other ones. So I'm just kind of interested if she's like a polyglot and she just happens to know a lot of languages or, you know, she knows like a couple of them. And then those are the primary sorts of communities that she's serving in this area. Or you're just going to leave it open to whoever decides to use this character can determine what languages she'll know. I like to think that she's maybe a polyglot. Just polyglots are, in my opinion, like a very rare breed of people. Mm -hmm. Because it, you know, it takes a certain type of person to be able to know and distinguish between all these different languages. And especially being a Damphir, there's no telling how long she's been around. Or like how long she's been a Danfear. So True. I would imagine she's picked up several languages over the course of her lifetime. In the scenario I was playing in my head, you know, we're imagining, oh, these corrupt government officials. And if it's like a metropolis sort of environment. And so you have like uh, the two hobgoblins that are talking and, and goblin after the language lessons are done. And they talked about, oh, we've, you know, we finally moved to this city. We got a better chance of a life. But they're just like, oh, this magistrate is really tough on us hobgoblins, prejudicial or, you know, unfair biases and stuff. Our rents are super high when they don't need to be or other type of things like that. And so then she's picking that up and understanding like, hmm, I might need to go talk to this magistrate and see if he has any connections going on with the vampires or whatever monsters are lurking in the area. 
I think it would definitely be in that kind of situation just because again it would help in the fact that like she's is out there sort of in hunter mode but also with her being one of those people willing to be out there and helping like someone's got to take on that role of being Mm -hmm. a helper and so if I have this ability to like get this information why not use it to my advantage and no one ever thinks like oh like she's just if she's just a common language teacher, I would imagine that she's living in an area where like you don't have a lot of people that speak multiple languages. So they're mm-hmm. just comfortable speaking whatever language they assume that she wouldn't because not a lot of people would know. Like, sure. Or, or something like that. And it's interesting, this whole scenario of a common language teacher, because I was recently a guest on a podcast called Dispel Magic, and we discussed the 5e spell called Hallow which is you basically consecrate a a 60 foot radius area and you can have a number of different effects occur. And so one of the effects is called tongues, which allows everyone to speak in that area and everyone can hear each other and understand. So we posited in that episode like, oh, well, I mean, if you take this thing to its logical conclusion, then you probably have, you know, centers and civilizations where this is how people were able to develop a common language in the first place because they had a designated zone where they could all sit down together and be like, okay, well, this is how you would say this word in this language, in this language, in this language. What's the closest approximation between all the vowels and consonants and percussive elements and stuff that we can manufacture with our vocal cords and lips and tongue and teeth in order to make a a closer approximation into a common language? So the fact that Levity is a common language teacher, to me, stands to reason that she lives in an area that's either going to be various different cultures coming together, impoverished, you know, not having access to something, some magical effect or something like that, that would allow people to easily be able to communicate, which would necessitate the reason why she would be there teaching in the first place, which is, which is kind of interesting. So like a fantasy New York city, except, you know, they don't really have much need of magic-y stuff of that nature. Oh, any magic-y stuff that can help us get a buck or something like that. That's cool. But investing in the infrastructure to help people learn languages, we'll just hire people to teach common. You know, that's a more effective use of our time than having a cleric uh, spend 24 hours for a single day to cast a area where everyone could just speak all the same language or whatever. Yeah. Um, I'm actually, uh, there's a book series that I've read that has a similar world like that where they live in a kingdom that's surrounded by other kingdoms that speak multiple languages. And the mm. common language that they're trying to get everyone to speak is called Harkin. Okay. But they're still like in the process of like trying to get people to learn it. And so they have what, what are called silver tongues, which are, would essentially be the polygots. Mm. Um, one of the main characters in the first book uh, gets referred to as a golden tongue because he knows 12 languages as opposed to like the three or four that most silver tongues know. Ooh they have a situation where there's the common language that these two groups of people know is Harkin, but like one group only speaks a little bit of, or no, it's called Farlander, but there's like a similar language called Outlander. And so they, there's all this confusion that ends up happening because they only know like bits and pieces of one language, but there's not that, that one common. So mm. it's interesting that you thought about that. Cause that's what I was thinking while we were talking about this. So that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So hopefully gives our listeners out there a good context, uh, a good environment that you could stick levity into your campaign. Or I don't know, it could be even interesting idea that just popped up. If levity is a tutor 
like maybe like a rich dwarven uh, society or I don't know, like some far alien realm or kingdom that doesn't know common. And so they only know their language, but, you know, Levity speaks it. And so, oh, I'm the tutor that's going to be here in this community teaching the nobles and the merchants and whoever need to know how to speak common in order to be able to communicate with the wider world or something like that. Yeah, that would also be a good one. And to go along with the namesake of our show, all of our NPCs got to have a side quest to give out. So at this point, you can roll the last dice, which is going to be the D12 to randomly generate a side quest. Or if you're inspired, just go ahead and lay out on us what you think a side quest Levity would be willing to offer a group of player characters to go and do. Or if you want to do a combination of both, uh, you could do that as well. Does a Damphir, being that they are a halfling, like let's say if it was a vampire, mm-hmm. are Damphirs typically solo creatures, like solitary, like on their own, or do they have like a, their own community? Do you know? Well, according to the text that I saw, and this comes from, it comes from a an internet resource page, but it's quoting the Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. It says that uh, some seek danger, imagining monsters as personifications of their own hungers. Others pursue revenge against whatever turned them into a damp beer, and still others embrace the solitude of the hunt, striving to distance themselves from those who tempt their hunger. Um, and then let's see, it's got a random table as to, let's see, your hunger. While many damp fears thirst for blood, your character might otherwise gain sustenance from the living. Roll on or choose from an option from the damp fear hungers table to determine what tempts your character to feed. So blood, flesh, or raw meat cerebral spinal fluid psychic energy dreams or life energy were some of the ones it gave and then as far as the origins are concerned uh some possible origins and again this is the van richten's guide to ravenloft so this gives you the the player character options if you're going to play a damn fear the npc quote monster manual version might be a little bit different but some particular origins for example you are the reincarnation of an ancestor who has a vampiric tyrant you're packed with a predatory deity, fiend, fey, or spirit causes you to share their hunger. Uh, you survived being attacked by a vampire, but were forever changed, which is kind of what we had discussed earlier. Parasite lives inside you. You indulge hunger. Tragedy interrupted your transformation into an immortal. You are a diminished form of an otherworldly being. Slaking your hunger hastens your renewal. One of your parents was a vampire. A radical experiment changed your body, making you reliant on others for vital fluids. Um, if you wanted to, at this point in the game, kind of change the perspective or the origin, I suppose, of Levity, um, and then maybe how that affects her either pursuit of community or similar people or whatnot. I think I want to roll first and see what that idea brings. Sure. So we have a four. Four. Okay, interesting. Your answer provided by previous guest, Firewriter. Go deal with a person with whom they have a grudge against. Okay. So this actually kind of leans a little bit towards what I was thinking of. So as a side quest, I'm working off the assumption that Levity has been around for quite a while. Okay. And so she would either want to complete the transition or completely reverse it. Ooh, okay. So my thought process on this is the side quest would be that she has word on where her potential sire could be okay and their side quest would be that they have to bring him to her so basically it's go hunt for a vampire and capture the vampire quote unquote alive and bring that vampire 
to levity. Yes. Ooh. Okay. This is an interesting side quest. Okay. So if the players are successful in being able to capture a vampire without him turning into mist and disappearing or just TPKing the party, um, what's going to be the reward for the side quest? Let's see. Reward? I feel like if you're capturing a vampire, it has to be a pretty big one. I would imagine so. It's, oh, I don't, I don't want to do what we did. I think last time what the reward was that something they needed for their campaign. Yeah, your last character that you made with a skink nose, the lich beekeeper, the reward was a valuable item that you needed in your campaign, which is perfect if you're just dragon dropping skink nose into your campaign without any uh, necessary tie specifically to whatever you've got going. But yeah, I could see where maybe you want to make sure that the reward is specific and worthwhile (laughs) with levity. Yeah. I'm thinking the reward would be something that allows you to bring back a fallen player. Okay, interesting. So are you thinking like a a scroll? Well, let's see. Revivify is the spell that I feel like they died within a minute, you know, then you can bring them back. And then there's resurrection. And then there's like true resurrection. True resurrection is like the super powerful one that they can be dead for like 200 years and you can resurrect them, you know, back to life. But resurrection would be like, okay, someone's been dead. It's been longer than a minute. And we need to like bring this person back to life. I would do resurrection because I feel like capturing a vampire is huge, but not like let's bring somebody back from like 200 years huge. Resurrection, a seventh level necromancy spell. Let's see, vocal somatic components, a diamond worth at least a thousand gold pieces. So having a scroll of resurrection is definitely, I would say definitely a big reward for the undertaking of capturing a vampire. As you were explaining, you know, she's kind of in this middle ground state of is she going to want to continue the process and fully turn into a vampire or is she trying to like be made a human again? And so I was just curious if you're thinking story wise was like, oh, you know, she tried a resurrection scroll before on her and it didn't work or something like that. So maybe that's why she has just an extra one of these laying around. Yeah, I would think so. I imagine that when she became Damphir, it was probably, because again, I'm assuming that at this point she's been around for many years, which means mm-hmm. she probably watched friends and loved ones pass. Mm-hmm. And so she would have tried to reverse the effects previously, which would be why she has that resurrection scroll. And with it not working, you know, she's like, okay, well, this is, these are the hands that I've dealt. Let me use this to my advantage. But now she's at a point where you know, it maybe it's not enough. And so she's torn between ending it there or doing full transition so she can do more. Mm, interesting. Okay. And then uh, I I just imagine it's a, probably a conversation or something with Levity, then maybe the player characters are able to either persuade her to take one particular course of action or not, depending on like, you know, their reasoning or how persuasive they are, you think maybe? Yeah, that'd be cool. Okay. And I just looked it up just to double check it, but a uh, a standard vampire in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition has a challenge rating of 13. So it definitely is not an easy feat to try and capture a vampire to bring to levity. So I think a scroll of resurrection is definitely a pretty great reward, along with the fact that you probably have a very fabled monster hunter as an ally of the party in some shape or form, I imagine. Yeah. 
And then of course we need to consider the opposite. What's going to be the consequence of failure or refusing the call to the adventure? I mean, there's probably some obvious ones, but are there any other ones that you're thinking of that could come into play? Because obviously going after a vampire is no short order. And so it's very easily that the players all get wiped out by a vampire because they went in their guns half loaded and no plan. And they were like, yeah, let's just bag a vampire. Oh, this fight is way tougher than we anticipated. And most of us are dead kind of a thing. Full full Leroy Jenkins it. (laughs) Gosh, what would be here? Um, hmm. And maybe to clarify as far as the failure condition is concerned, because I suppose there's a difference of like, oh, we try, we fought him and we tried to get him, but he escaped and they report back to her on that or failure in the sense of like, oh, we were so good at our job that we actually just killed him. Like we didn't like this vampire. Maybe there's a plot reason and like, oh, this vampire is actually a very oppressive figure and some main plot or some other side quest needs you to kill him. And so they failed the side quest in the regards of instead of bringing him to levity, they just kill the vampire. What's going to be the consequence of that? Mm. I would say, do damn fears have the power, have the ability to also initiate like a trans transition? According to the player character version, they have an ability called vampiric bite. So your fanged bite is a natural weapon, which counts as a simple melee, which you're proficient in. You add your constitution modifier instead of your strength modifier to the attack and damage rolls, uh, blah, 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 blah. So it's like a bite when you attack with this bite and hit a creature that isn't a construct or undead. You can empower yourself in one of the following ways. You regain hit points equal to the piercing damage dealt by the bite. You gain a bonus to the next ability check or attack roll you make. The bonus equals the piercing damage dealt by the bite. You can empower yourself with this bite a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus. and You regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. Okay, so basically you can kind of like buff yourself a little bit. Let's see, deathless nature. You don't need to breathe. Spider climb. You have a climbing speed equal to your walking speed. Okay, that's that's interesting. Yeah, so those are the main things. So not like a full vampire. There's no like oh, I can transform into an animal or I can turn into a swarm of bats and fly off into the night sky. And obviously I'm not vulnerable to silver running water or daylight or anything like that. Would they have the ability to turn someone? Like also turn them? Not the player character version. Okay, challenge rating one, as far as the monster version is concerned. Let's see, dark thirst. So that is some sort of bite thing that happens. And then you do necrotic damage, predatory charm, magically beguiles the mind of one humanoid. Let's see, blood ties, inner darkness. Damn fears are the half-living children of vampires and living mothers born into a world that fears and rejects them thanks to their human-like appearance. Many damn fears hide in plain sight, spending their lives concealing their abilities. Okay, so even looking at the monster version, I'm not seeing anything here that indicates like, oh, you have to, if they bite you, you have to save against turning into a vampire. So no, damn fears do not, as far as I can tell, have the in writing ability to turn someone into a vampire. But it's your game. It's your table. If you wanted to make it so that damn fears could change people into vampires or at least other damn fears, I suppose you could allow that if you wanted to. So... What I'm thinking then is not necessarily turning them, but uh, I didn't remember hearing uh, that like if I fed off of someone, it could increase ability or just sort of give me like a boost. So as if they were to fail, then I would say they'd have to leave 
one of their party behind essentially for me to use as like a power boost oh okay so <laughs> kind of reminding me of uh your skink nose episode where uh skink nose took one of your player characters party members souls as a hostage right. basically until you did some other quest for them to get it returned so basically you're thinking the same thing that perhaps levity gives into her hunger a little bit because of this failure kind yeah. of losing momentary control and basically is threatening your party with like, I pick one of the members of the party. I'm going to feast on their, whatever it is that I particularly hunger. It maybe you can decide for levity what it is uh, that she particularly thirsts after. If it's like a standard vampire, it might be blood or cerebral spinal fluid or raw meat or, or, or something. I mean, I know trigger warnings if some of that stuff makes you squeamish or whatever, but we're not trying to get into too graphic of details. I would say for blood. Okay. That's something that can replenish itself eventually. Sure. Kind of similar to Blade. I mean, Blade did have to consume blood too. But not to the point of like the vampires he fought that were like feeding right. on whole people. Right. And then that sort of makes their their punishment, I guess, I would say worse because it's just sort of like you're there for as I need you. And like you're this it's going to be a long term punishment. And is there a way that the party can correct this, fix this uh, so that way they can free their ally like if they finally show up with the vampire that'll solve it or if we're imagining oh the vampire's dead and now i'm stuck in this damn fear state and i can't finish maybe, going either way or something uh maybe finding somebody else in the sire line that may be able to help Ooh, okay interesting <laughs> now we're having to do vampiric genealogy okay hold on <laughs> let me pull out the parchment scrolls and figure out how far back this goes well, this is just off of some vampire lore that I know is that is usually they'll have at least one companion within their sire line with them. Mm -hmm. My assumption would be if they killed the, the main one, mm -hmm. hopefully someone in their sire line is there and it's not like the sire line where like the sire dies, everyone dies. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. I was going to say I hadn't even considered that. But yeah, would that actually put her at stake as far as like it makes her weak or something like that? Because now her sire is dead. And, you know, either way of what she needed, if she was going to become a full vampire or she's going to restore herself back to humanity. I would say it's like a broken sire. Vampire to me just means they don't have a full sire bond. So it okay. would, I wouldn't necessarily think it would affect her. And so I would assume that maybe they have like a broken sire bond, but they're still like, we're not like that bonded, but like, I'll still hang out with you. Okay, interesting. Okay, so the consequence of failure is she's going to take one of the party members hostage as her personal blood bank, unless they can either bring the vampire like they need to, or they find another vampire somewhere in the lineage that she could use to either, again, turn into a full vampire or restore her mortality back. Basically. Yeah. All right. Well, we learned a lot about this terrifying levity. I thought was going to be a wholesome character, but it completely turned on us. But just like how she almost sort of turned too. But it's now time in the show where we go to a random encounter. All right. And so the random encounter at this point does not have an ad sponsorship. But if you would like to change that, feel free to send me an email, sidekicksandsidequests at gmail.com, and I would be happy to listen to your proposals and work out something 
Uh, so that way you can sponsor an episode segment, the Random Encounter segment. So I hope to hear from some rich noblewoman or eccentric lord soon with their Kickstarters or Patreons or whatever else. Okay, so the Random Encounter section, you'll recall, is where we get to do a little bit of a vignette, a little role play, a little bit of theater with our character that we've made. So I think you will do a fantastic job with Levity. Uh, but the question for me is what character am I going to be in the scene opposing you or being alongside with you? Am I going to be one of my adventurer characters who's going to get tasked with 1v1-ing a vampire to bring back to you? Am I the sire? And we're doing a flashback scene of the moment where the transformation went wrong. Or is it going to be kind of like an everyday scene where maybe it's a class discussion and, you know, she's hearing about the corrupt officials in the town or the piece of knowledge gets dropped about like her sire is somewhere nearby in the area. And that's is what gets the wheel spinning as to, OK, well, I need to find someone who can either go with me or can go take care of this myself while I go deal with the other threats that I'm dealing with. All right, you know, we've already started this complicated train. Let's do the flashback. I like that idea. Okay, the flashback. Okay. Yeah. And so then I'm going to be some type of male vampire. Did you have a name in mind for who the sire was? I do not. Well, I could solve this really quick. Fantasy name generator. We've got Thaddeus, Leandro, Magnus. Magnus. or sova magnus yeah so we've determined that the sire's name of levity is magnus and so we're doing a flashback scene just like a small village on the outskirts of like the larger city and we'll say that going back to your thought of levity being a wholesome character i think she starts out that way so she's probably just a young girl who likes to spend her time maybe um, out in a meadow near a small river where she likes to sit with her books and learn. And that would be where she first meets Magnus. He sort of uh, sees her and approaches her as a, as a random traveler, just striking up a conversation. Yeah, I think Magnus is the kind of guy that, you know, takes the nice fancy carriage out. Is this in the evening time where he is able to do this or is he so bold as he actually does go out into the daylight, but he has like like a big umbrella or something that just protects him from the sun? I think that he's bold. He's bold. Yeah, I think with people with a name like Magnus, I typically think of him as very bold and uh, he's probably been around a very long time, so he's not afraid to take chances. Okay. And so typically, I believe with vampires in 5e, if they're like in an area, they do affect the local climate. So maybe it's not quite as dour and gloomy today. There, It's like it's maybe like overcast, you know, and so he might still have to bear an umbrella or something like that. But he's feeling rather aristocratic. He's out in the carriage ride around the countryside and then he beckons his driver to stop and he'll get out and he will approach you know levity in the meadow where she's reading and studying and he just kind of puts on this you know this fancy air and all of his charm is just like well my dear what are you doing out here in this meadow just reading by the roadside and then she would respond with good day my lord i 
sometimes like to sit out here, learn the many languages of people who live uh, live outside of my village as a way to connect with the outside world. He's impressed, piques his interest because he hasn't maybe met anyone like this before. And so he'll just be like, oh, quite fascinating. And what language is it that you are taking in today? Uh, today is the language of the Elvish people. Ah, yes. And so he'll start conversing in Elvish to kind of test her level of intelligence. And so maybe he says something to the effect of like, I find Elvish is best in the the songs and poetries of old. It really captures their essence and quality. And I would respond that I would agree as the Elvish people are very passionate and vibrant people. Yeah, probably uh, something that he hasn't done with someone who's like taking his focus like this in such a long time. He's still trying to play it cool, like as if he is the good guy putting the charms on. And so then maybe he like actually sits down next to her and maybe some of that vampire sort of like washing over aura effect or whatever. And so he's just trying to lay on the charms and just be maybe say something along the lines of like, uh, well, my dear, I have a multitude of books on this language of this field of study and many more in my manner, in my my abode. And I could teach you many languages of the world and even more things that you can't study in books. So he's, he's trying to lay it on a little thick, seeing if perhaps like his pure machismo and charisma can kind of win this young maiden over. Yeah, I think she would be a bit hesitant at first because this is a strange man that she's just met. But also her family's uh, she's never been outside of her village and she'd be afraid to leave her family behind to go and study what she imagines is a great collection in this particular flashback is this the instance of where you know she's attacked and turned or is this just like their first meeting and then this is going to inspire a series of later meetings that's going to uh, eventually lead to that event i just wanted to know the dial of like how much is uh, how much is too much this would be the what essentially gets him to convince her to go where it would be he would manage to convince her to go without having to tell her parents he'd be like well i just live up the road Uh, if you'd like to borrow some books we could return you home just sort of making her think like oh this isn't like a a big thing it's just you know a couple of books you may not have okay so then he does that to that effect um you know so he tries to use his persuasion and charm uh you know to make it seem as if it's not a big deal And he'll say like, oh, come with me. I have many fine wines that you can lounge in a recliner and you can read these books to your heart's delight as if it like it brings him a great joy as if he could do this for her. And then, you know, however long she wanted to stay then oh, simply, yes, we could we could return you to your village and your parents, you know, but they would have no need or worry because I am the great Magnus. I am the the ruler of these lands and, uh, you know, far be it from me or any of my subjects to feel threatened or, you know, not cared for. Yeah. And so she would then feel more comfortable like, oh, okay, well, obviously, you know, it, he, there's no ill intent. He just wants to foster my learning. And so I being the ever eager fountain of knowledge that I am, uh, would be like, well, yes. Okay. Um, as long as I'm able to return before dark, I will gladly follow you to where these books are. 
And then, yeah, probably for Magnus, this is like an instance of him, whereas most of the people under his rule, he views them as like, you know, cattle or dinner or something like that. This is like an instance of him actually being like, could I consider her an equal? Could she be something more than just my next meal? And so, you know, it's like the super focused zoom in on the neck. And so like the arteries are pulsing and he feels that temptation, but he quiets himself. He steadies himself and he thinks like in his inner monologue, like, you know, no, she could become my bride. She could be the one that rules with me side by side. Or if not, she would be the beautiful flower uh, next in my uh, my harem or or whatever. We're imagining this Magnus gentleman to be like he has this inner dialogue going on as he's you know escorting her. He lifts her up effortlessly with his one hand, uh, and maybe she's even surprised with like how strong or flexible or fast or fluid in his movement that he is. And so he'll just like walk very much like a gentleman and lead her into the carriage. And are there any other moments or things that she'll say before this? first meeting instance of them concludes i don't think she'd so much say anything verbally i think it would be more so in her actions where you know she just takes one last glance back at the meadow thinking that this is the spot where my life changed um because again he is offering her um a chance to learn more and she just has this feeling that meeting this man has essentially changed the course of her life so she's aware that there's a change coming, but she may not necessarily acknowledge or understand that it's not necessarily for a good reason. You know, like she has that feeling of like, oh, something big is happening and this is the moment that that, that, that change occurred. And so for her, it's more like an excitement thing without realizing like the danger that she is walking into, you know, sheep in the lion's den more so. <laughs> And I think that scene, yeah, that, I think that sets up uh, the, the backstory very well. So yeah, now I'm just interested to learn more about the dynamic between uh, Magnus and Levity been like, you know, where it went right and where it went wrong. And, you know, maybe it's even like a spurned lover sort of a thing, possibly if you decide to take it that route. Yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, I don't know, it's kind of open to possibility there because, you know, it could even be more so, uh, you know, he's kind of put her in this trance of because you mentioned earlier that like you know he kind of has like his vampire charm and charisma so i'd imagine that over time she just sort of falls into a trance but it's like the thought of her family and like her having to leave her family that sort of disrupts that and that could be the action that uh, that caused her to become a damn fear instead of a full vampire right so like it sort of breaks that like it's what gives her the fight to pull back but she's already been halfway through the process Mm-hmm. that that's why she's sort of like on the break. Cause like maybe she was almost at that point, almost past the point of no, no return, mm-hmm. but you know, not quite far enough to completely come back from it. That's really cool. Yeah, no, there's some very rich soil here for your plots and your games and everything like that. So definitely I would encourage you to take Magnus and Levity certainly and put them in your game. Very cool. Yeah. So what did you think of uh, getting to make Levity and uh, getting to be back on the podcast? I loved getting to make Levity. I She's definitely, she was a lot more challenging, I think, than Skink Nose. I feel like Skink Nose just kind of rolled out fairly easily. Mm-hmm. But Levity, I just, 
based on just the initial things that we rolled out, mm-hmm. I thought like, there were so many layers that you could potentially put with this character, mm-hmm. which would then take it in so many different directions. And that's kind of interesting to think of like all the different directions she could go. Yeah, I, I love it too. Like the openness of how you want to take it. It's like, oh, am I getting my ex-lover and I'm having to capture him to bring him to me? You know, oh, this is the man that promised me so much and I'm getting my revenge. Is it, yeah, it could be any number of different ways or, oh, you know, he's just the one that changed my life and, uh, you know, I want to get back to my life. And so that's why I need him captured, you know, but because he's this powerful vampire, he's been, you know, beyond my grasp to actually get. And then that's why, she needs the players to step in uh, in order to capture this vampire Magnus to bring him to her. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I can't wait to see. Definitely going to try to remember all this, but I will come back to your uh, little story stab that I found earlier because I'm sure it'll be up there before I can get around to it. But I definitely would love to see where these characters go. Yeah, I consider myself an amateur writer. By amateur, I mean I have several books that I've started and have never finished. Mm-hmm. But I like where this is going. So the the writer in me is like, continue. <laughs> sure, yeah, and you know I would encourage you if you wanted to write more on this and share it with us in the podcast, we'd be happy to to post it on the subreddit or wherever else. Uh, you know, and then that might give other players or other dungeon masters um some rich fodder to be able to use for their games as far as like motivations and the dynamics between Magnus and Levity the unwilling bride the ex-lovers the failed vampire or whatever the the variation might be yeah very cool well uh, as we're here in the final moments of the show you know I always like to give the stage the microphone the soapbox the platform all that good stuff over to the guests so if you want to be found on social media where can we find you if there's any projects that we need to be made aware of that we can you know, support you on, uh, if there's any passions or causes that we need to be made aware of, let us know what those are. I am still on Facebook and TikTok under Leah Deshaun Murray. I mentioned earlier, I have a couple of friends that are out here doing great things. So definitely look for Carter Anderson Comedy on TikTok. Give him a follow. He is hilarious. You will not go wrong. And then my two friends that do play D&D have also started a podcast where they talk about, uh, discuss uh, different webtoons that they're reading. Uh, And I believe it's called Splat. And you can find them wherever podcasts are available. So give them a listen. They're definitely very intriguing. Uh, My friend, their names are Amber and Ashley. um, And it's them and two other people from their D&D group, actually. Uh, that started this podcast so definitely give them a follow and keep playing Mortal Kombat so they'll keep making new games because I'm here for that (laughs) awesome well Leah thank you so much for coming back on the podcast glad to have you back and glad to catch up and can't wait to have you back on to make even more NPCs oh yeah and thank you for having me thank you for listening to this episode of Sidekicks and SideQuests Be sure to subscribe to the podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Overcast, or feel free to save the RSS feed to use the app of your choice. If you don't like using podcast apps and services, I'm proud to announce that I'm in the process of uploading the podcast to our very own dedicated YouTube channel, which you can find by searching for Sidekicks and SideQuests. 
All future episodes should automatically publish to our YouTube channel. Visit our website, sidekicksandsidequests.com, for links, write-ups of the NPCs, and to learn more about the show and the guests who have been on it. To stay up-to-date and interact via social media, you can follow the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and the corresponding threads, Twitter, now rebranded X, and Reddit by searching for SideKQ Podcast. You can now also find a very tiny community on Discord as well. I would love to talk D&D and showcase your fan art, stories of how you used our NPCs, discussions, and commentary. If you'd like to hail the bard, simply send me an email at sidekicksandsidequests at gmail.com. To help this show be the resource it's meant to be, I ask that you please leave a review on iTunes, five stars if you please, to help spread the word and share our podcast with your friends and family. Whether you're a veteran player or an aspiring dungeon master, there's something here for everyone, and I want to hear about it. As mentioned in the NPC creation section of the show, I do in fact have a Patreon for the podcast. If you love this podcast and you want to help support us and take our show to the next level, I would appreciate it if you would go to patreon.com forward slash sidekicks and sidequests. No matter your lifestyle expenses, we have wonderful rewards at every level of Patreon membership tier. Modest, comfortable, wealthy, and aristocratic accommodations await, and we welcome all patrons to the Levitating Platter. Seriously, your financial support allows for this passion project to continue to invest in itself through the tools that will take our production to the next level, as well as provide more content for our patrons and the community at large. Please consider supporting me on Patreon if you can. Sidekicks and Sidequests is unofficial fan content permitted under the fan content policy, meaning I'm not approved or endorsed by wizards. Portions of the materials used are property of Wizards of the Coast. Copyright Wizards of the Coast LLC. Thank you for your support, and I'll see you at the pub next time. Bar to rock on one, two, one, two, three, four! Sidekicks and sidequests.